0: This talk was given by Vanessa Zuisei-Goddard-Sensei. Zuisei-Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of her talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation to find out more about her teachings or to join her mailing list, please visit her website at vanessazwisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. Gateless <coughs> Case 36, Meeting a Person of the Way. The main case. Wuzu said, if you meet a person of the way, on the way, greet them neither with words nor with silence. Now tell me, how will you greet them? The commentary. If you give an apt answer to this question, it certainly is a matter for congratulation. If you are not yet able to give one, be alert in every aspect of your life. The verse. If you meet a person of the way, on the way, Greet them neither with words nor with silence. A punch in the jaw, get it at once, get it immediately." Good morning, and welcome to those of you who are joining us uh, for the first time. Um, Yesterday, a group of us did a retreat on silence and the spiritual path, and I wanted to use this uh, koan to explore the subject of silence just a little bit more, and um, more importantly perhaps to see how we can use it to meet another skillfully. And I said yesterday, really at the outset of the day, that I I was aware of the the awkwardness of having a, a day, spending a day talking, about silence. Of course, the moment you speak of it, you break it. It can only be experienced. And I was thinking that it's not unlike the the conundrum of giving a talk uh, on the Dharma, when you're essentially trying to to bring out, point out, um, point to what cannot be spoken of, what cannot be captured or framed with words. Isn't, isn't this what artists do, not just with words, but with a brush, a piece of clay, a piece of wood, you know, trying to give life to something that doesn't really need our help to be given life to, because it's never been anything but alive and vibrant and uh, perfectly expressing itself. And so it's, it's knowing and deliberately offending, as a, another, another Cohen says. And, you know, in, in the case of a talk such as this, you need take a few words and you put them together, hopefully in a somewhat skillful fashion, to try to convey the inexpressible. Better to do, as as Thich Nhat Hanh did, in the 1980s, he gave a talk at the cathedral, Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City, and the place was packed, and it was, it was buzzing as only waiting audiences can buzz. And they had heard this great master who had now, by, by that point, he had been living in the US for about 20 years. And he had been teaching at uh, Princeton and Columbia. He could speak fluently, seven languages. He had been uh, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Dr. King. And he was giving a talk on Zen meditation. And so everyone was, was excited. We were anticipating. And after a while, he came in, and nobody introduced him. Nobody said anything. He just walked in and sat down and took his seat. And a few people in the audience noticed, and they, they got quiet. But most people just kept on talking, waiting for the program to begin. And slowly, very slowly, from the front of the room to the back, the hush started to spread through the room, people began finally to notice that something was happening, that there was a presence in the room, a tiny presence in that huge vault that is St. John's, a tiny presence that somehow filled every molecule in that room with its being. And it was Tai just sitting in silence being that silence itself. And 10 minutes went by, and by that point, the audience, too, had become quiet, and they were sitting also. But there was a difference, because they were waiting. They were still waiting for something to happen. They were waiting for the talk, perhaps waiting for something to tell them, now this is important. Now pay attention. He wasn't waiting. He was just sitting. As I've often said, just sitting, you know, that word, just 2,500 years worth of Buddhist thought and teaching is contained in that little word. And after 20 minutes, he got up and he walked out of the room. <laughs> that was his talk. I'm sure no one who was in that audience forgot it. And I was saying yesterday that the reason I I wanted to to speak about silence is because I feel uh, fiercely that it needs to be protected, that it needs to be brought out and um, um, highlighted. Why, Why is it important to our lives? Wu Zhu Fayan was uh, an 11th and 12th century Chinese master. And he eventually became the teacher of Yan Wu, who um, edited the Blue Cliff Record. And he's the same um, master of that koan, The Buffalo Passes Through the Window, that Shuriken Roshi spoke of um, a few weeks back, also uh, Senji and her soul. So he was a very well-known teacher. And when he was young, it is said you know, he, was, he was studying Buddhism and Buddhist philosophy. And one day, one of his fellow um, uh, students challenged the teacher. And he said, if subject and object are one, how can that fact be realized? And it's actually a a very good question if you stop to think about it. How can I realize a koan? How can I realize my breath? The moment that I become it, where will I be to realize it? Who will realize it? How does it work? It's like when people ask, you know, how will I know when I'm in samadhi? You won't. That's the whole point. To drop the knower. But then how do you know if you're practicing correctly? That's an excellent question. And so the student asked if subject and object are one, how can that fact be realized? And the teacher said, it is like drinking water and knowing personally whether it is warm or cold. And Wusu says to himself, I know about warm or cold, but I don't know about personally. And just you know, put yourself in, in his place for a moment. He's probably drunk hundreds, thousands of glasses of water by that point in his life. And he knows, he understands the difference between warm and cold. He can explain it to you, perhaps even write an eloquent poem. But this word, personally, he says, that's another story. And I don't know, you know what the word in Chinese was. Maybe it was personally. Maybe it was intimately. But he's not, he's not happy with a, just a superficial understanding. He, he didn't start nodding the moment the teacher said, yeah, it's like understanding. It's like knowing the difference between warm and cold. To him, it is not obvious. It is not a given. Mm-hmm. And so he goes searching until he eventually realizes himself. And then he spends the rest of his life trying to communicate to others what he has seen so, he, so they can see personally also. I want to personally realize male or female, black or white, young or old, words and silence neither words nor silence because it's, it's true that now we often come to a, a practice like this knowing actually quite a bit about Buddhism about the teachings and I think that's the, the challenge to move beyond our knowing so we can realize personally so I can understand you. who, who am I, who are you what is this so I can move with you instead of against you, so I can meet you. And this is so difficult and so necessary if we're going to live in harmony with one another, if we're going to do what the Buddha said is possible to do, which is to put an end to suffering. And I was reflecting as I was was writing this talk, Um, just why I think koans are such an invaluable practice, why they're so unique, really, in the history of of religious traditions, why they're such um, powerful spiritual tools. And sometimes the the, the language, sometimes they seem archaic, and they certainly come with their share of, of cultural and social baggage. So they're not perfect like any other tool. They're not perfect by any means but they really are deliberate relentless training in in getting you to learn how to get out of your own way so you can inhabit another's being another's being another's mind another's understanding another's view so you can know them personally so that we can uh, understand, so we can realize that we share the same ground. Somebody was saying to me the other day, you know, we 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 say, you know, we all die alone, and that's true, we do. Except this aloneness includes everyone and includes everything. That is why we can meet another on the way. And so these koans are actually teaching us, I feel, how to live our life now. Not a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, but now, with the things we are dealing with now. And so in this, in this koan Wuzu, he has gone through his own search, and he's become a teacher in his own right, and so he's asking his students, meeting a person of the way, on the way, don't use words and don't use silence. How will you greet them? Well, first of all, who's the person of the way? The way, the Tao, the path, it's a path, a road. It's also the natural order of the universe. And so a person of the way is one who understands this natural order, who lives this natural order lives in accord with it. So how do you greet such a person? And is that different from how you greet an ordinary person? How broad or how narrow is that road you're walking on? Does a person of the way have to uh, look a certain way, act a certain way? There's that that other koan of the Shan where he's... um, He's a, a, a renowned scholar of the Diamond Sutra. And he decides that he's going to go to southern China to, to teach those barbarians um, about, because he's heard that the teaching is there's no reliance on words and letters. So he's going to go and set them straight. And so he packs all his, his books, his commentaries on the Diamond Sutra, and starts traveling, as on goes on a, on a pilgrimage. And somewhere on on the road, on the side of the road, he meets a tea lady, nameless, unfortunately, tea lady. And he stops to get some refreshment. And um, she says to him, you know, what what are you carrying in that bundle of yours? And he very proudly says, well, since you ask, I am a scholar of the Diamond Sutra. And she says, oh, so then could you answer a question if I ask it of you? He says, of course. So he sits down. He sits his bundle down. And she says, well, I have uh, heard that in the Diamond Sutra it says that past mind cannot be grasped. Present mind cannot be grasped. Future mind cannot be grasped. So with which mind will you accept these, this tea? And the Shan can't answer. And so what does he do? He turns to him and he says, do you know where there's a teacher around here that I can study with? <laughs> Having a teacher right in front of him. And she very humbly points him to Long Tan's monastery down the road. And he goes and has a, an encounter with Long Tan and actually realizes himself, or has a, has a realization experience with him. Every day, all the many beings we meet on the way are kind enough to be teaching us. How many of them do we just walk right by? Because they don't look the way that we think they should. They don't sound the way a person of the way should. Who are we saving our attention, our regard for? What would happen if we, if we were, in fact, open to being taught by everyone and everything? And it doesn't mean, you know, we do say, well, you know, teachers are everywhere, the teacher is everywhere. It doesn't mean that, that everyone is on a path, on a spiritual path. But it does mean that, that meeting meeting happens all the time, and we can be there for it or not. And what a shame, what a missed opportunity. So every day, sometimes several times a day, we meet another, and sometimes that meeting does not go well. You say something, you offer your view, and the other person is hurt. And they tell you so. And now you feel ashamed, you feel on the spot, you feel defensive. But I didn't mean it that way. And the other person says, well, I know, but that is how I heard it. And this is why it hurts. Can you hear that? And, you know, we, we, this happens downstairs in the dining hall. And it happens, you know, on the national stage. Right? It happens on television. It happens on the internet. It happens in the newspaper. You know, the, the, the comment threads. I mean, this is happening constantly, constantly. People offering their views. How do we take it in? How do we remember, remind ourselves that a view is not that person? It is a view, and that the view has no self-nature, has no solidity. It's a view. It's like a wisp of fog that has power in a moment that we impute it with power. Can we see past that? Can we stand on our fundamental ground so we don't get thrown by another's, perhaps, very different view. What if this koan said, and it would be a, a very different koan, but, but bear with me. You know, what, what if it said, you meet a person on the way, on the way. Without intending to, you hurt them. Don't defend yourself, don't shut down. Now, how will you respond? as the commentary says, if you can give an apt answer to this question, it certainly is a matter for congratulation. If you are not yet able to give one, be alert in every aspect of your life. That's really the challenge, to be alert in every aspect of our lives. And and to know that the answer is not in words and is not in silence. It's, It's certainly not in fighting or in avoiding, in asserting or deferring. And then where is it? What is it? And despite what the verse says, I don't think it's in a punch in the jaw either. (laughs) That is one way to realize it. It says realize it now, realize it immediately. That is one way to do it. But I really feel we need to find other ways. We're actually pretty good at punching each other in the jaw, so to speak. We know how to defend and protect, how to deflect or avoid. And this con is really demanding more of us, just as life demands more of us. So as, as he asks, how will you meet it? And he actually took this koan um, from a poem And the poem says, Clear, lucid, and no hindrance whatsoever. Standing all by yourself, you do not rely on anything. If you meet a person of the way, on the way, greet them neither with words nor with silence. Standing all by yourself, you do not rely on anything. And because you do not rely on anything, you are clear, lucid, and without hindrance. That is really how to greet another, to meet them perfectly. Standing all by yourself. What is he saying, really? Because he's not saying to turn away or to avoid. What does it mean, really, to stand all by yourself? Where are you standing? Which is another way of saying, what do you trust? And yet he says, do not rely on anything. So, so then, how do you know how to respond? How will you have your greeting not fall into either words or silence? I mean, these masters are really are doing their utmost to describe a real state of being. And they're saying, this is you. They're, they're talking to you, to me. But we have to uh, bring ourselves to that place, to that meeting. And we have to be willing to find out how to truly meet another, a person of the way, being a person of the way ourselves. Once um, I learned. Scholar was traveling um, in Tibet and he decided that he wanted to debate a very well known uh, teacher who was an expert on debate. But he thought, you know, I'd better warm up before I actually meet him. And so he was asking around to see if there was anybody else who could, who who knew enough Buddhist philosophy to debate with him. And um, there was a a community on the uh, foothills of the Himalayas and they pointed him to Patrol. Rinpoche, who was living in a hut. And he, um, he became, he was, probably even then, one of the most revered teachers in the Nyingma school of Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, he was known for his um, simplicity. He said that when he died, he just owned his robe, a uh, um, set of malas, a prayer wheel, and a couple of books, the way of Shantideva and, and Nagarjuna's uh, verses on the middle way. And uh, he would teach anybody who would come to him. He said that you know, he was in a, in a tent at some point and one person came and then another person came. At a certain point, they had thousands of people staying in tents, studying with him every day. And he, and he studied with all the great teachers of his time and was said to have deep realization. But the scholar didn't know this, he thought he was just seeing a monk who knew enough to debate with him. And so he made his way to the hut and uh, Patrul's attendant had warned him that someone was coming to debate with him. And before he arrived, Patrul took his uh, sheepskin coat and he turned it inside out and put it on. And then he laid down on his bed with the head on the foot of the bed and his feet on the head of the bed. And the scholar knocked on the door and and Patrul Rinpoche did not answer. He knocked a few more times, no answer. So finally he just opens the door and he peeks in and he sees this uh, monk wearing a sheepskin coat inside out and and sleeping on the wrong side of the bed. And so he goes to him and says, why are you lying that way? Can't you tell the head of the, the bed from its foot? And Rinpoche says my dear Lama, you're not very good at logic. The head of my bed is where my head is. The foot is where I place my feet. And he gets a little rattled, the scholar, and he says, but why are you wearing your coat inside out? I mean, that's quite odd. And he says, I'm wearing the fur fur on the outside and the skin on the inside, just like the sheep do. (laughs) And after this spicy start, they started to discuss the dharma, and Patrul Rinpoche responded you know, with ease and depth, It is says. And so the scholar realized if this was his warm-up, he wasn't really prepared <laughs> <laughs> to debate the other, the other master. so he gave up and he went home. <laughs> and um, Patrul Rinpoche has a teaching. <clears throat> he said that every day we have three opportunities to practice. And he said the first is uh, upon waking. So that when you first open your eyes, he said, don't get up in a rush. Take a moment to lie still in your bed and relax your mind. And then look within and check your intent. What's your aspiration? I once read, I think, Merton, who said um, that you know you're a monk. Let's extend that to a religious Practitioner, a spiritual practitioner, if your first thought when you open your eyes is one of God. And so take a moment to lie still in bed and relax your mind and look within and check your intent. The second opportunity is on the way to the teachings. And there they had to squeeze apparently through this kind of narrow um, hallway through the tents to get to the teaching tent. And he said, and that, that's the moment where you want to check once again your intent. For us, you know, those, those moments, you walk over to the sangha house before a retreat and you're getting settled in your chair, you're sipping a cup of tea, you're getting settled in your cushion. And here we don't really miss that opportunity when we, we loudly say, prepare for a Dharma talk, prepare for a Dharma discourse. If Shugan Rush is here, we hit the drum. Where is your mind right now? Are you ready to hear this? And so he said, that is our opportunity to cultivate bodhicitta, the wish to awaken and to do so for the benefit of all beings. And the third opportunity is as you're receiving the teachings themselves. He says, once again, you reestablish your intent and your commitment for practice. And he, he had a kind of invocation for this. He would say, every instant, put your heart into it again. Each moment, remind yourself again. Each second, check yourself again. Night and day, make a resolve again. In the morning, commit yourself again. Each meditation session, examine mind minutely. Never be apart from Dharma, not even accidentally. Continually, do not forget. And in one way, we cannot be apart from dharma, not even accidentally. And yet, we place ourselves in such a way as to feel apart. We forget. I was saying yesterday that silence allows us to see that we're, really, that we're coming home, we're returning home to a place that we never left. Because we so often act like guests in our own home. Guests who are being unfamiliar with the terrain are crashing into the furniture. But we put it there. It's our place we're crashing. And so without some degree of silence, we, we don't know this. Without stillness, we forget. And that is why the need to keep reminding ourselves and reminding ourselves and reminding ourselves, putting our hearts into it even when we don't want to. Especially, especially when we don't want to. If what we really want is to wake up. So as you open your eyes in the morning, what is that most important thing? What is the necessary thing? I forget which... um, I think it was Wallace Stevens who said that, or the, the infallible, he, he said the infallible thing. What is that thing that you need to return to when you forget? What can you do? In the moment when you've forgotten, you've already forgotten. So what can you do as you're bringing to mind your aspiration again to help you when you begin to forget, when you forget, when you have forgotten, what, what helps you to return? At that very moment in which you, and another person, meet, well or not well, whether you truly meet or you miss one another, in that moment, remind yourself, commit again, examine minutely. In the moment when you're meeting a person of the way on your, in your mind, on your cushion, in that moment, don't be bashful. bashful remind yourself, I am a person of the way, meeting a person of the way. How will I respond? I was speaking a little bit about uh, Deepa Ma yesterday, who was a, a Burmese teacher, and I've quoted her before. I was saying she's one of those people that I really would have loved meet. She was a, a lay um, teacher. She, she never became ordained. And um, she was said to be this, this um, incredibly powerful marriage of um, fierceness and kindness. She, she was extremely clear and, and was said to have, in fact, um, attained even psychic powers, that she could walk through walls and, and read people's minds you know, I don't know, but it is said she could also say, I am going to go, I think I've said this recently, I'm going to go into samadhi for two days, three hours, and five minutes. And she would, and at exactly that time, she would come out of samadhi. And she would just teach in her little apartment, and people would come to her. And, and really, the only book that I have found, the only writing, is, is not by her. It's, it's really about her and her life and some of her teachings that a, a student went around and interviewing the rest of her, of her students and just collected all these different sayings and anecdotes. And one of them says that one time he had been in India studying with her, and then they came to, to the States and invited her to teach. So I think she was here one time. And he was telling her he was going to a wedding in New York City. I'm not sure where he was, somewhere outside of it and he said to her you know i'm really thinking of taking the train because every time i go into the city my car gets broken into and she said oh don't be ridiculous just take the take the car it'll be easier so he did he took his car they go to the wedding he comes out the car was broken into the, the window was smashed and they took his he said his radio and his tapes so it must have been in the 80s <laughs> and so he sees Deepama again and she asks him how was the wedding Said, oh, you know, the wedding was great, but my car was broken into. And he starts, you know, complaining about this. And she starts laughing. And she says, You must have been a thief in another life. Because clearly you have karma with this. And I wonder how many times this is going to need to happen before you exhaust that karma. And he says to her, Well, can you just tell me so I can (laughs) deal with it? (laughs) And she ignores him. And then she says, Well, did you even think about the thief? And he's like, what do you mean? Well, what kind of uh, difficult? In fact, she said, miserable life he must have. I just used a he. How do I know that it was a he? What, what, uh, What kind of life did they have that they would do this? And then she turns kind of in and starts chanting. And he said he knew she was offering metta for the thief. something he had not thought of doing himself. This is the, the end of a poem that I used yesterday, Neruda poem, it's called Keeping Quiet. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a great silence might interrupt this sadness. This never understanding ourselves and threatening death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count to twelve and you keep quiet and I'll go. And we spoke a little bit about this sadness because someone, someone mentioned how sometimes being in that, in that uh, deep silence can bring up sadness. I was thinking about it, um, kind of a different version of sundowning uh, syndrome, you know, it's when, which is really becoming confused as the day uh, wears on, but, but, but more that as, as, as twilight descends, I remember for years feeling this, it was a mix of anxiety and sadness. That I couldn't really um, trace to any particular event in my life. It was it was more like a, a a texture of my being that, for some reason, as night was coming, would become more present for me. And um, and so someone was was saying how that that can up, that can arise in silence. And to me, it's interesting that Neruda is saying, well, perhaps this great silence will interrupt this sadness, this rushing about and never understanding ourselves and threatening death. What if we were able to shift our single-mindedness just for a little while from all our all our doing and getting done, to keeping still and quiet. Could that great silence uh, interrupt our sadness? And interrupt? Could that great silence um, reveal that sadness for what it really is? Could we understand ourselves and one another? or at least begin to? Could in that silence the earth teach us? And often it's silent, but often it has, and, and lately especially, has a thundering voice. <coughs> Can we hear what it is saying? How to, um, as a dedication said, joyfully observe and care for it? Not just today, you know, on Earth Day, but every day. Could it be that we already know how to meet one another, but that we must have the courage and the, the will, the determination to do so? Because it is what is being asked of us every day. And so now meeting you, people of the way, let us all keep quiet together, and then we'll go. For more talks, to get information about Zuisei Sensei's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessaswiseigoddard.org.